I told my secretary to make the arrangements. Didn't she call you? Yes, she did. I speak to your secretary more than I speak to you. I see. I have my own life, too, you know, Edward. This is a very important week for me. I need you here. But you never give me any notice. You just think I'm at your beck and call. I do not believe that you are at my beck and call. Well, that's the way you always make me feel. Maybe I should just move out. If that's what you want, yes. All right, when you get back to New York, we'll discuss. Now is as good a time as any. That's fine with me, Edward. Goodbye. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? It's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically, it's a movie that at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV Travis. This is episode number 169. Nice. And our movie this week was 1990's Pretty Woman. And joining me to talk about it is Sam from Movie Reviews and 20 Qs. Sam, how you doing? I am doing amazing, especially when I found out I'm on episode 169. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. I'm so stoked because I have the humor of a 12-year-old. So I think this is amazing. This is like the coolest episode to be on. I would say that that was planned, but it wasn't. It was just a happy accident. Oh, uh, yep. Yeah, just like me. Happy <laughs> All right. So Pretty Woman. So you had not seen this movie before, correct? That is correct. I was eight when it came out in 1990. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really think my parents wanted me going to see a film about a streetwalker. Uh, and so as I got older, I sort of realized it was more of a romantic comedy and being a typical hot-blooded male, I wasn't one, wasn't much of a romantic comedy fan, so kind of skipped it. And the other thing is too, I feel like I've already seen this film purely through osmosis of it being parodied and other, you know, properties. Like, you know, the whole scene of her buying, you know, or not being rejected for buying stuff and then coming back and saying, you work on commissions. I was like, I knew all that. I sort of, I've seen YouTube videos of the top hundred cheesiest lines. So I knew the ending as well. So I sort of felt like I'd already seen it, but I was, uh, yeah, but here I am. Yeah, actually same for me. So I was about nine when this movie came out, um, roughly. And so it wasn't one I was going to go see. And then same kind of deal. I'm the, I wasn't big on romantic comedies, especially in my teens and twenties. Um, and so it just sort of flew under the radar, but you can't escape. Like everybody knows about pretty woman. It's, you've seen it everywhere. Um, but I'd never sat down and watched it. And for me, this movie kind of occupied a space in my brain, similar to dirty dancing, which is another movie that I hadn't watched. I did for this show and dirty dancing was not at all what I expected it to be. Um, and this movie was, far closer to what I expected that it was going to be. Um, but there were some things that surprised me that I really enjoyed. So that was kind of nice. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it was one of those things, same, same deal. Like you've seen, uh, either this be copied or parodied to death. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so yeah. overall, how, what did you think of it as a movie? Like when you got done watching it, did you enjoy it? Uh, do you never want to see it again? Did you, did you, is it going to be tough to get through uh, talking about it? I mean, what do you think? Oh, I'll put it this way. It's like I didn't hate my time watching it, but at the same time, similar to like Schindler's List, it's like I don't think I'm ever going to go back and rewatch that. You know, I feel <laughs> like I'm emotionally done when it comes to this film. Uh, touching on what you said, like I, I fully went into this with preconceived notions. Like, you know, I knew she worked as a, you know, lady of the night. I knew that he was a you know, very wealthy businessman. I had no idea that she was as, 
like lower level of the you know street walking variety. I thought she was like a high class escort. I thought that was how oh, okay. you know he'd ordered her for the night or something like that. So all of that was quite surprising to me. And then like I've had so many like female friends say, "Oh, it's my favorite movie of all time. Oh, it's my favorite movie of all time." And so when I started off, I remember thinking like in the first half an hour, I was like, "This movie is insane. <laughs> I can't see how girls could relate to this girl who's literally been picked up off the street mm-hmm. and does the things that she does and lives in an apartment with a girl that steals money from." Her. I was like, "How how can I relate to this?" But then as the movie went on, and we actually see that she actually has um, way more of a backbone and she's way more on a learning curve and a hero's journey than he is mm-hmm. i started thinking to myself like this is actually i could see it i could now see it i can see why certain you know demographics would this would appeal to them yeah, yeah. it's there's a lot of empowerment for vivian in this movie and she has a ton of agency throughout the whole thing like she's making decisions she is doing the things that she wants to do she has a little bit of help mostly from barney um yeah yeah. But but I she's a she's a character to kind of look up to in a way, uh, which I did enjoy, because yeah it it's one of those where you're right that first half hour or so of the movie I'm just like okay, all right I don't I don't get it I'm not sure what is great about this and, but it picks up and it gets better it I was pleasantly surprised I'm kind of like you I don't, I'm not gonna rush out to see it again, but I'm also not gonna avoid it. Um, it wouldn't be the type, like if I, if I had somebody who's like, Hey, I want to watch pretty woman with you. Uh, sure. Yeah. Why not? I'll sit down and watch it again. It, it wasn't terrible. I've seen far worse romantic comedies that do literally nothing for me because the people are unlikable. She, Vivian is very likable as a character. Barney is very likable as a character. I don't care so much for Richard Gere. Uh, but I think that's just kind of a personal thing for me. I'm glad you brought it up because I was waiting for you to maybe hit me up for a plot description. I was going to be a sociopathic robot tries to learn human emotions. We're not talking about Terminator 2. We're talking about Pretty Woman because he he is dreadful. He is like the the worst part of this film by far and to the point that I'm like, I don't get it. I don't get where the romantic chemistry or anything's from. I just, I can't stand him as a character. So, so I don't... I don't dislike Richard Gere on the whole. Like I've seen him in other things and he's been fine. I actually really enjoy um, a movie called The Jackal that he was in. Um, and I liked him in that. This, you're right. He is very robotic. Now, there was some things that I... So I watched uh, the Netflix series, The Movies That Made Us, and they did an episode on this movie. And one of the things that they talked about in that and some of the articles and things that I read was he started off... Uh, very different in the acting and the director Gary Marshall went up to him and was like no 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 dial it back here you're not the character that's moving there's there's two characters in this one of them is moving and one of them isn't which one do you think you are like basically Gary Marshall telling him to dial it back you're not the focus it's Vivian that is and you're and after reading that I'm like okay well it makes a little bit more sense the way that he acted but he is he's so like wooden and robotic and I felt like that wasn't they could have somehow made that more of a thing than the little bit we get at the beginning where, you know, he, his ex-girlfriend is telling him she talks to his secretary more than she talks to him. The, I, the clip I played yeah. at the beginning on the phone call, like that's all the backstory we get about him. So it's like, we don't know anything about this guy and he's just sort of, he, he almost doesn't feel like a human being in his social interactions. But then we're supposed to believe towards the end of the movie that he has this change of heart with the business deal he's doing. Uh, enough to like, kind of go back on it. I'm not entirely sure. It was very weird. Yeah, that 
that totally feel felt forced. Like it felt like it just came out of nowhere. Was him just suddenly like having a complete sea change? Especially because for a large part of this movie, there isn't much of a romance between the two. Like he's spending most of his days trying to do business, and she's out learning to become this completely different woman. Yeah. And so the fact that they, you know, like the them getting together at the end, I would have much preferred a movie where they ended it like she did, which would have been him just saying. You know, I want you to stay, but I want you to stay because you want to be here. And he going, nah, I'm good. <laughs> Just walking off. I was like, that, that should have been the ending. I don't really like the cheesy, cheesy parts of the end. It's funny you bring up Richard Gere because right before this, or like right before we watched the movie, I said to my wife, I don't think I can count of five films that I've watched that star Richard Gere or, or Julia Roberts. I've never been a <laughs> fan of either of them. I've never wanted to rush out and see either of them. Amelie Julia, Julia Roberts' filmography is mostly romantic comedy, so there's not really much there for me to cling on to. Mm-hmm. And so going into it, she is, she was just like, you are going to hate this. You're absolutely <laughs> going to hate this. And I was like, oh, so that's why I was kind of surprised. And I was yeah pleasantly surprised that I didn't hate it. I think now that you've brought that up, I think it makes more sense about what Richard Gere was going for. Mm-hmm. Again, the complete sea change at the end still feels really forced, but yeah, still, yeah. Yeah, and and I'm similar with Julia Roberts in that I haven't seen a ton of things that she is in, mostly, I mean, the like the Ocean series, um, but she's yep. not a main character in those, although she has a bigger part in, I, I think, 12 than any of them. Um, but I've never, like Richard Gere, I've never disliked her. It's just never been something that I've gone out of my way for. But I'll tell you what, she stole every scene she's in in this movie with the exception maybe of one. And that's the scenes she was in with Larry Miller, but that's not her fault. That's Larry Miller. That's unfair. Um, But she's great. (laughs) I understand why she got an Academy Award nomination and won a golden globe for this performance. She is fantastic throughout the whole movie. She's very engaging. She's very likable. Um, I can see why her career took off after this. She's 22 when she made this movie. Wow. Which is just crazy. She's 18 years younger than Richard Gere. He was 40 when they made this. She was 22. And she had done a couple of movies prior to this. The the one that most people would have heard of is Mystic Pizza. Was, I think, Mm. a year or so before they started filming this. So she was a relative unknown at the time um, in Hollywood. And she just knocks it out of the park. She's so good throughout the whole thing. And it's that that engaging laughter and kind of infectious, the, the whole um, closing the, uh, the case on her hand thing. Yeah. That was an improvised moment. That was Richard Gere, like just messing around and they kept it in the movie. And so her laugh there is genuine. Like she wasn't expecting that to happen. And that's, that's what makes her character fun and makes her just fun to watch in this is just that infectious, like love of life that she's got. So, I'm not going to rush out and watch a bunch of romantic comedy starring Julia Roberts, but I gained an appreciation for her in this because she definitely does have a ton of charisma. And, and she absolutely does. And it, it totally made me change my opinion on her because I, I sort of have her lumped in this category of like like her and Gwyneth Paltrow and um, oh, here's some other one, Reese Witherspoon, uh, Nicole Kidman. They, this is sort of in this upper echelon of Hollywood actresses, but they always seem to play this quite you know, like 
I don't know, just like just basically just the same sort of role over and over again, which is inoffensive, kind of like you know, there's nothing there. It's like sanitized, you know. It's just like mm-hmm. cookie cutter yeah. entertainment. So to see her in this and to see yeah to hear that that was was like her second major film totally makes sense because you can see she's got like a drive and hunger to really bring this character to life and she, she does it like oh yeah uh, I haven't laughed out loud genuinely at a romantic comedy in a long time but the part where they ever like where they go to the polo game. <laughs> and then they're like cheering on, and she just goes, riff, 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 riff. Yes. Oh. <laughs> I've never seen Julia Roberts behave like this. This is amazing. It was great. Yeah, the 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 fish out of water stuff they did with her in like high society was so good. I I genuinely laughed out loud at the silliness of her the snail slipping out and like the guy catching it. That to me was oh, a funny see. little gag because he just grabs it and Apparently, Gary Marshall reused that gag later on in, uh, I want to say it was The Princess Diaries, with the same actor doing oh, really? like the same move, which I thought was hilarious. I, I find that. Gary Marshall, to me, is interesting. We're gonna, we'll are gonna we talk about him in a little bit. Um, yep. But that, that gag got me. Uh, the polo ground, like all that kind of stuff. Her, her just, her, the way she acted around these high society people, when they get done with the, um, the uh, opera, and the older lady's like, did you enjoy it? Yeah, I almost peed my pants and like walks off. And the, the old lady is so confused. Oh, no, she liked it better than Pirates of Penzance. And yeah, yeah. You, can, you can see her gears turning like, that's, no, that's not what she said. I just love that. That was so good. Yeah, she, she's great. Um, and I just, I think I'm with you. The, the chemistry between the two of them, while there was like a sexual tension, the romantic chemistry I never quite got on board with. And I think it's because Richard Gere like was too much into the uh, kind of not having emotions thing. Like his turn felt like it happened too abruptly. We, I, I, yeah. I wanted a, a slower burn on that. Um, so yeah, I don't know. And then you got Jason Alexander playing his lawyer, Philip Stuckey, um, <laughs> which th- this was early in his career. He had just, I think, I think they filmed this movie before he started Seinfeld or right around when he was starting Seinfeld. Um, All right. He, oh man, he does such a good job of being a character. You just want to punch in the face the entire movie. Like, hey, and, and yeah. romantic comedies always have that side character, that, that kind of smarmy guy that you just, you just want to kick into traffic. And <laughs> that was him. That was Philip Stuckey in this movie. Right up, and then when he actually like full on assaults her in the hotel room. I was like, Oh, okay, well mm. now we can, we can throw him off the balcony and I'm fine. Like go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He, he it was, it's kind of poor timing because we are both at a point in our relationship, which was me and my wife, which is like, we're usually so busy with work and then a kid that we can't watch anything that's too mind consuming, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day. So Seinfeld's popped up on Netflix. Uh, that was that was the funniest part for me is we've watched a ton of Seinfeld recently, which I never really watched that much when I was younger, but now I'm watching it and enjoying it. And so when he popped up, I was like, I feel like I'm in a really weird, bizarre episode of Seinfeld. Like, <laughs> he literally feels like that character transplanted into this film. I mean, when the assault happens, I was like, now I'm watching the most darkest Seinfeld I've ever seen. This is, right. this is next level. But, like, even still, like, that whole assault part, all of that seemed organic, and it seemed like that was where his character was going. Mm-hmm. And it just... Like, I'll give it to him. Like he he does he plays that swarmy little a hole so perfectly. Oh yeah. Like he he's pretty much you know built for that role in so many different ways that he just comes across as just such a 
such a d-bag that you literally you're right like you just want to drop kick him off the side of a balcony and just watch him fly and just laugh you laugh your head off at him but yeah, yeah he, he was he was really good it was and what's funny is we almost didn't get him the movies that made us he's he's in the the interviews he talks about he went into audition and they didn't want him gary marshall didn't want him in the movie because he's considerably shorter than richard gear and mm. uh i think the line from gary the line he said from gary marshall was like it's like because uh, there's the scene where he punches him in the face, he said, um, "You know, it's he would be punching a dwarf." And <laughs> wow. and so he's like, "Okay, this guy doesn't want me in the movie. Fine." And then they started shooting, and they didn't have everyone cast yet. And he basically he and his agent and Richard Gear and Richard Gear's agent like set up and filmed a scene uh, with like just a, a video camera to kind of prove that he could do the part, having him standing on like phone books to give him a little bit more height. And it ended up getting him cast enough to, to be in the movie. So we almost didn't get Jason Alexander in this. And honestly, it would have been worse uh, for it because while again, the character's terrible, his performance is spot on. He's exactly what you need. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did mention Larry Miller. That was a fun little cameo uh, in the store. He's the, the store manager that, uh, is just sucking up to her the whole time. I love that. Um, Alex Hyde White as David Morse, the younger one. I, as I'm watching the movie, I'm like, why? I saw his name pop up in the opening credits. I'm like, why does that name sound familiar? He was in that terrible, not-to-ever-be-released Fantastic Four movie made by really? Roger Corman. Oh. He was Reed Richards in that. Oh, no, he was. Richards, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So th- I was like, that's why that name sounds familiar, because while the movie is terrible for some reason, his name, I think it's the, the hyphenated last name just stuck with me. Um, I did like, and I wish he had been in the movie more Ralph Bellamy as uh James. Morse. Oh, yes. He's, yeah. this was his last movie. He, he hmm. passed away shortly after this. He was like 91, I think at the time. Now I love, uh, trading places. I don't know if you've seen that before or not yeah it's amazing um, yeah. Yeah, yeah and he's great. in that and he's yeah. great so like he that was fun to see him pop up like i love i love seeing people like that I was like oh that's okay cool but the other person i really want to talk about is hector elizondo as barney because for me he's the hero of this movie without barney this like the story doesn't happen and at first like they submer- they subverted my expectation because when he first comes onto the screen and he first confronts her, I'm thinking, great, we're going to have this like confrontational thing. He's going to be spending the entire movie trying somehow to like out her or get her out of the hotel or something like that. And they sort of started down that road, but as soon as she has her little breakdown in the office, he flips and he becomes like genuinely uh, friendly towards her. And I was like, oh, that's that's so amazing. I love that. And like his character was just great because he had this genuine affection for her. You could see it building throughout the movie. So, and I yeah. love Hector Elizondo. Yeah, can, yeah he, he's amazing. And you're right. Like I had the same thing. I actually got up to go to the toilet when like just before her breakdown in his office and then came back and it was like the entire mood had changed. I, was, I said to my wife, I was like, what's going on here? And she's like, you need, a, you need a rewind about a minute. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> Like, this doesn't make any sense. Why is he being so nice to her? And she's like, yeah, yeah, you're an idiot. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I really loved him. Like just the, like almost like you're right. Like it could have been, you know, like the principal trying to find Ferris Bueller type thing and just spending the entire subplot of the film trying to, you know, bring her down or 
get her out of the hotel and like we didn't get that and that was awesome and the fact that he sort of took her under his wing and like just taught her how to use forks for her to you know like how to behave and all that sort of stuff it was just it was just phenomenal and it's like it's the added touches to this film which actually do elevate it past most other romantic comedies that you know like I, I'll, I'll remember this like i remember mm-hmm. and it's not just the you work on commission scene it's not just the oh then she rescues him right back it's not not, not that you know it's not those not, not just those scenes yeah. there are some genuine moments in this where i will remember this film for sure. oh yeah. yeah i love that you know he takes the time to teach her stuff and when he sends her to the woman to get a dress and that was great like I feel like he's done that before. Like he's had other streetwalkers in the hotel that he's had to send to her because she seemed, that woman seemed to know what was going on. And that, that was another one of those. <laughs> it's a very small scene, but it's so great where she's like, so you're a size six. Yeah. How'd you know that? Well, it's my job. We'll find yeah. you something that your uncle's going to love. Well, he's not really my uncle. Oh, they never are. <laughs> like <laughs> they it was never. so good, but yeah, he just, and, and I loved how she comes back and she's like, she's so excited. I bought a dress. He's like, yeah, I was kind of hoping you'd be wearing it. Well, no, I didn't want to. I didn't want to yes. wrinkle it yet. Like, so it, and 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 that. And then he just he keeps softening more and more. And by the end of it, like he's nudging Richard Gear to like go after the girl, you dumb dumb. It's so he's just great. Like, it's a it's a wonderful character to have in this movie, but it's not like ham fisted either. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And honestly, I just want a movie that is like their relationship. Forget the Richard Gere stuff. Let that be the B plot. Let it be like Barney and and Vivian uh, getting along and like doing stuff in the hotel. Like that's the focus on that relationship. I think that's a uh, a healthier relationship than the stuff with Richard Gere. And then you don't have to worry about the dumb like she can just sort of leave the guy at the end of the week thing. I don't know. I, I just I want more of that. I wanted more of Hector Elizondo. He's he's so good. So. Oh, same. Completely agree. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So Gary Marshall directed this, and I was looking at his uh, list of credits, and he's acted a bunch, he's written a bunch, um, but he got his start on TV. Uh, he was he uh, wrote Happy Days, and Laverne oh, and wow. Shirley was his, Mork and Mindy. He did the Odd Couple TV show. Um that came out of the movie. Like that was how he got started. This was, uh, he had done a couple of feature films of the Flamingo kid. He did overboard. I don't know if you remember that one or not. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. which I haven't yeah. seen in forever. Beaches was him, but like, this was the big kind of breakout, like huge hit for him, um, was this movie. And it's funny to think of like somebody who is coming from a sitcom background, like happy days, like he created happy days and now he's doing pretty woman. Um, and he did Runaway Bride. Um, the other sister uh, was one of his. Um, he's the the Princess Diaries. Both of those movies are Gary Marshall movies, which, again, I wouldn't have thought of that. But uh, you know, he he brings something to this movie. There's a heart to it. Now, the start the script started off very differently, and this is something they go over a lot in the movies that made us. The, the writer uh, is a guy named, um, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, J.F. Lawton. And he wrote this script when he was living in Hollywood, right near Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, and he became, he made friends with a few streetwalkers, street prost- prostitutes from his time of like going to a donut shop that was open 24 hours a day and hearing right. their stories. And he started writing this story. It started off as a very dark drama. 
This was not a romantic comedy when he wrote it. Um, and it's funny how you mentioned that the ending feels forced because it kind of was the original ending to the movie, um, had, uh, him, uh, it had Edward pull up in a car and then get out and take Vivian out of the car and give her money and be like, here, take the money. And she doesn't want it. And he keeps doing that. And then he just drives off. They don't end up. Wow. And so she takes the money eventually after like, I think she throws it at the car or something and then picks it all up. But she takes the money and takes her friend and they go to Disneyland. Like that's the end (laughs) of the movie is them riding a bus to Disneyland with the $3,000 that she made. Um, But it was like this darker drama thing. And they were originally shopping it around. But when Touchstone picked it up because it's part of Disney, Disney was like, "Um, so this is about a about a four on the brightness scale of like Disney movies. Can we, can we bump that up to like a seven? Um, And uh, so they lightened things up and made it more of a comedy and get Gary Marshall in there and things totally change. But it's like, it's one of those, it's like, man, this was a very different movie when it got started to what we end up with. But all the changes feel like they're kind of for the better in a lot of ways, because I don't know how well this works as a darker kind of drama filled thing. I'm, I'm sure it could work if done right. But there's there's a charm you you gain by kind of making it more of the romantic comedy and a little bit of a fairy tale. And, um, you know, it, it is what it is. I, I do feel like the ending is a little too sort of fairy tale princessy. Um, and that's probably the weakest part outside of Richard Gere's performance for me. Because it mm. does just feel like, oh, suddenly he's grown a heart and he cares about her now but he couldn't before. I don't, I don't know what made him change. Like Hector Elizondo's magic, I think is basically what I take away from the movie. He's he magic. He's, he's put a charm on him and made him go after the girl. Um, and you know, it's fine. I get it. Like happy, a happily ever after is going to make more audience members come out of the movie feeling good. So I get that. Um, but I think that they didn't earn it as well as they could have if it had been the original intention of the story. So. Yeah. Like I completely agree. Like I feel like it's mentioned sort of thing, like that scene where she just says nah and just leaves sort of thing. I was like, this is like a perfect spot to end this film. I mean, you can have the scene of her and her, um, you know, roommate basically saying, Oh, you know, I'm off to San Francisco and I'm going to go try do something completely different in my life. I was like, that would make for such a better film. Make for such a better film. Basically, it's like a kind of long and so yeah and i I just would have preferred a much like sort of darker almost like you know the bad guy loses sort of i mean you know just like it's i don't know how you describe it like a a romantic comedy that doesn't have a happy ending is, is going to stand out way more than one that just does, you know? So, Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm with you on that. I do think, though, that this movie was able to get away with it because it was still 1990. We hadn't been completely flooded with romantic comedies yet. So, um, so J.F. Lawton wrote this movie. This was the second script. All right, His first movie he also directed. You want to hear the title of this one? Oh, Absolutely. Cannibal Women in the Avocado Jungle of Death. You know, I've heard of that film. <laughs> <laughs> That's the craziest part. I've heard of that movie. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that was his first movie. Then he writes this. He goes on to write Under Siege. Um, wow. Blank Man, starring uh, Damon Wayans. Uh, Chain Reaction, which Chain Reaction's an underrated action flick. Like, it's better than than people remember it. Um, but it was, that was a combination of, it was the director of um, The Fugitive, and then it had Keanu Reeves coming off of Speed. And it just mm. didn't quite do what they wanted, but that one's not too bad. And then, and this is the this is the biggest outlier for me in his screenwriting because Under Siege, while not great, is a fairly decent action movie, um, and its script is fine. Uh, Chain Reaction, like I said, is pretty fine. Um, pretty Woman, I feel like had a pretty good script and a, and a decent story. DOA, Dead or Alive, based on the video game DOA, he wrote that, which. It blows my mind because that movie I did not enjoy at all. No, neither. I'm surprised that movie had a writer, to be honest. I don't think it did. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but yeah, it's just so weird. Like, such a, a strange, he does this great romantic comedy and then it's like action movies and comedies and, and then DOA. And he, he's done like two things since then as a writer. So it's very yeah, strange. DOA probably would kill most people's careers. <laughs> That's for sure. But the um the, the funny part is the fact that he's gone from a horror film to this. Like you were talking about, it's yeah. like this film. You you could tell it started dark. Like you could tell, you know, like her flatmate stole her money for drugs, and you know she walks past Hank Azaria. Random little cameo from him, Hank Azaria. I forgot to mention him. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, insane. Doing a like you know policeman on the street and you know trying to get rid of tourists who are photographing dead bodies in LA. <laughs> <laughs> that was such an LA moment too. We're, such an LA moment. You're from the press? Still, no, we're, this, we're, this we're from Orlando. <laughs> yeah, we're from Orlando. We want to see a dead body in an alleyway. <laughs> oh, it's a streetwalker. Even better. We want to see a dead person. Like, <laughs> as a New Zealander, looking at that type of stuff, I'm like, we, because we watch so many movies here in New Zealand, that before I went to America, I was like, that's what America is. That's the entirety <laughs> yeah. of America. It's this hellscape where you see dead bodies and guns and girls, you know, prostitutes and people, you know, slinging drugs. That's all it is. That's all America is. So. In some parts, it kind of is. Um, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I, I, um, like I, I did not expect Hank Azaria at all. And he's just playing it completely straight, which is also weird for me because I'm used to him being zany and like just playing, yeah. you know, very over the top characters. And this is so early on because uh, I think he had might have started the simpsons by now i can't remember the show's yes. been on the air for 100 years so it's hard to say i feel like simpsons was like 87 they started on tracy Ullman show but he would have been on 89 when the first first season maybe yeah that sounds about that. right right around then yeah yeah so probably close um but yeah like you're right it does start off a lot darker there was there was rumor for a long time that um there that the the uh, what's her name? Uh, Kit, yeah, Kit uh, Deluca. Um, yeah, yeah. Yep. that her character died at the end of the movie, at the end of the original script from a drug overdose. Which J.F. Lawton's like, no, that didn't happen. But that was the rumor going around for a while. Um, because they, you know, when you when you go through like IMDb and Wikipedia and stuff like that while you're researching a movie, you always got to take a lot of that with a grain of salt because they'll throw all the names of like. The, the running gag is that every action movie made between 1982 and like 2002, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone were in consideration for it. And <laughs> so when you read that kind of stuff, but um, they had, uh, I don't think I copied it out, but they had something about that where like, yeah, she was supposed to have uh, 
um, died towards the end of the movie. And that was a reason why, like, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer and who was some other ones, Molly Ringwald um, was up for Vivian and turned it down because they, they thought it was too dark, like that kind of thing. So I thought that was kind of strange. Um, it's amazing you bring this up because when we were watching it, I said to my wife when we was about half an hour left, I said, I know where this is going. And then she goes, what's going to happen? I was like, doesn't her best friend, like, doesn't she find her having a drug overdose or something? And then that makes her head, you know, like second guess what she's doing as a prostitute. And my wife was like, mm, I haven't watched it in 10 years, maybe. So, <laughs> but Could be. But could yeah. Be. I mean, I, I fully expected that was where it was going to go, but maybe similar to you, I just heard the rumors about how that was originally in the script and I've just you know, correlated things in my head, which would make sense, but yeah. Now, one thing, so again, Gary Marshall, coming from a TV background, but he also has this like great relationship with his actors, and that was one of the more interesting things on that movies that made us documentary was people, because sadly, Gary Marshall died a few years ago, um, so he couldn't be in there. They couldn't interview him, but they were talking to everyone else, and like Jason Alexander talking about they were when they were filming it, that he would do like these radically different takes where he'd be like, okay, play this one angry. And so they do the scene angry. He's like, okay, now play this one funnier. He's like, and now, 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 now do this one, mention his shoes. And he's like, what, what are we even reading off the scripts? Like, don't worry, it'll work. Like they, they had, you know, he was just making stuff up. And so there's like a lot of moments like that. They're talking about him, like writing the script, like rewrites on set while they're filming, which had to have been crazy to do for, for actors. Uh, but one thing, and, and the reason I bring that up is this was a pretty cool little thing that I read, which is there's a line in the movie where Vivian talks about being from Georgia and um, Julia Roberts is from Georgia. And so that line got worked in because Gary Marshall was worried that she wouldn't fully be able to hide her accent. And so they oh, could wow. throw that line in there and now you've got a justification if she slips a little bit. And gets a little bit of a drawl in there. And I'm like, that's smart. That's smart directing and like smart screenwriting to put that in there that I wouldn't think of. So I just, I thought that was kind of cool. That um, is, that's really cool. That's very clever, yeah. Some other people that were up for the role of Edward, uh, you got your, your John Travolta, I think was at one point, which this would have been a weird time for him because he he had this was this would have been in his low time, right? This was like between yeah. Look Who's Talking yeah. and Pulp Fiction, so he's not a bankable star. But this is the one that really caught my eye. Christopher Reeve was originally up for the role of Edward. Could you imagine Christopher Reeve in this movie? It's, it's so hard for me to imagine him as anything other than Superman. It's just, right. It's, um, but, but it's kind of could see it, kind of. Yeah. I feel like there's a there there's a charm he could have brought to it. I just don't know what his chemistry would have been with Julia Roberts. Because that's the other part oh, of it. Right. Is like Richard Gere, for being 18 years older than her when they're making the movie, he doesn't feel that much older than her while they're making it. Like, he does feel he's a few years older, but she plays, I think, older than 22 as well. It's kind of one of those. It, it took me... I'm like, wow, she... She looks really young in this, and because she was so. Um, but I was trying to think of other people that could have played the character at the time that this came out um, than Richard Gere, and I'm having trouble like nailing down somebody that would have worked that wouldn't have taken me out of the movie because like Tom Cruise wouldn't have worked because he's not tall enough to play opposite Julia Roberts. 
<laughs> so there would be a problem there. Um, they'd have to put him in heels the whole time because she's 5'8". Uh, so as yeah. soon as they put her in any heels, like she's just towering over everybody. Um, exactly. But I was trying to think of somebody else from that era, and I, I just can't. I know uh, initially the studio, when Touchstone like optioned it, they wanted Sean Connery. But it wasn't going to be Julia Roberts. They didn't want they they had no interest in her at all. I can't think of who that could have been. But I don't know. Can you think of anybody from like the late eighties to yeah, I mean, early nineties that would have worked? My my first instinct is always goes to like Robert De Niro or Al Pacino, which would have been towards the tail of their blazing run of just awesome films through the seventies and eighties. Even still, I feel like those two, the age difference would have been a little bit more noticeable. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like Richard Gere, like, he, he is straight 40. Like, De Niro probably could have pulled it off. Um, if they'd gone for somebody, like, slightly younger, like, you mentioned Tom Cruise, it immediately made me think of Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer has that good attitude of, you know, he can convey himself as quite a sociopath, like, almost almost like Christian Bale as Patrick Bateman. He can yeah. sort of play that sociopathic sort of side. I feel like it's there in him sort of thing, so... Yeah, in terms of replacements for her, I, I can't, I can't. I, it's Sandra Bullock. I don't know. And even then, I feel like interchanging. You know, it's what it's like for like in a lot of ways. Yeah, I I can't see anybody else playing Vivian at this point after Neither. watching the movie. Nah. Now, no. Here's a name for you though, and I don't know if it would have worked or not, but Ray Liotta. Oh, because this would have been right around the time of Goodfellas. So so Goodfellas era Ray Liotta has the looks. And and I think could carry himself. He would have been a very different Edward. Um, oh yeah. But I I could kind of see that, and I could kind of see those two having a decent um, chemistry as well. Because I think that that's when you have a romantic comedy, you need chemistry between your leads. And yeah, it wasn't. I wouldn't say this movie was devoid of chemistry between the two of them, but it could have been better, in my opinion. So you know there is yeah. that. Yeah completely agree like I, I just i just didn't get it you know like it, by the time it ended and they were staring at each other's eyes romantically i was like i just i don't get this i don't get it and and certainly the first sex scene they have i was like i feel incredibly uncomfortable right now <laughs> yeah yeah painful she's bringing it she's bringing heat of like you know like let's get frisky sort of thing and he's just uh-huh okay yes <laughs> like, do something man the really interesting thing was um, she was incredibly nervous on set for any of those scenes. So, like, they had to, like, calm her down. She was breaking out in hives from, like, wow. nerves. So they had to, like, get a calamine lotion on her and, like, calm her down so that she could do those scenes. And one of the things they did to kind of break tension is the scene where she's in the bubble bath. Um, when she drops under the water, they, they played a prank on her. Everyone ran off the set. So when she comes back up out of the water, covered in bubbles and can't see anything, and then she wipes it away from her face, and there's nobody there. <laughs> and so, that's amazing. Like I love stuff like that. To make just to make the environment a little more, uh, you know, inviting and and help. Again, she's young, so kind of needs that, and you break that tension. Um, so I thought that was yeah. really funny. Uh, I'm seeing in my chat room um, Ray Liotta as Vivian. <laughs> okay. Oh. Now, 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 we're, now we're getting somewhere. Now we got something interesting. Uh, and yep. Stanley Tucci is Edward. All right. Stan- Stanley oh, Tucci. Tucci can play anyone. I mean, yeah. yeah. Tucci in, any, in every movie. Um, Hector yes. Elizondo almost wasn't in the movie. Now, he is 
and I found this really cool and, and I want to go through and research it more. He is like Gary Marshall's good luck charm. I guess he was in every movie Gary Marshall ever directed. Hector Elizondo is in it. And he almost wasn't in this because Disney was like, we don't have the money to pay him. So Gary Marshall's like, fine, I'll pay him. And put his part of his salary towards getting uh, Hector Elizondo on set. And finally, Disney was like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll pay you back for that. But I just thought that was great. Like, that's a dedication to a friend right there. It's like, no, 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 you're yeah. going to be in my movie. I don't care. And, you know, that was fun. There's a couple. It's, it's... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, it's, it's funny how how often we watch these fully completed and well-produced and well-acted and all that sort of stuff, m- movies, and we think, oh, that was amazing. And then you hear stories like that about how so close to just being a complete disaster it was. You know, <laughs> potentially removing J.C. Alexander and Hector Alexander. That, that would have been, that's the heart and soul of the movie, the gone. You know, that's yeah. the, that's the like, the pitch-perfect villain as well as the the heart and soul, as I mentioned. Yeah, that's that gone. Like that, this, We wouldn't be talking about this film now, I don't think. It would be a completely different film. No, I mean, you, you think about it. If you don't have... The, the cast is what makes this work. Julia Roberts makes this movie memorable. And Jason Alexander, as your villain, because he's the closest thing we have to like a straight villain in this movie. Um, yeah. Which, again, you know, is a little bit rushed, but they sort of lay the seeds for that when he first finds out that she's a prostitute. Uh, I had this thought of like, oh, he's going to do something. This, yeah. this is just going to happen. It's just a question of when and what does he do. Um, but, you know, yeah, it's it's all about the casting. The writing is fine. There's a couple of decent lines. Like, I did like the line that she has where they're talking about kind of what's going on in their life, and she's she's mentioning how, you know, she's been told she's worthless so much and, and all this kind of stuff. And she has that line, the bad stuff is easier to believe than yes. people telling you. Yeah, I was like, ooh, that hits a little close to the mark there. Like, <laughs> yikes, my imposter syndrome flared up at the moment. And like, yes, yes, that's true. No, shut up. Um, and, uh, you know, there's the, the I want the fairy tale. It's cheesy, but kind of worked on me a little bit. Maybe I'm softening in my old age. I don't know. I've hit 40, so it's a little easier for me to <laughs> to kind of give some leeway. But, like, I liked that. The, the very, very end was kind of dumb. Um but whatever. Mm. I also thought that the uh, um, the fear of heights thing, I don't feel like was played enough. So when he's one story up and he's like afraid on that fire escape, it seemed really cheesy to me. It it sort of came out of nowhere. It seemed to have been a, I don't know, like a late addition to the script or something maybe because like the first time they do it and then she said like why would you take the penthouse suite when you're afraid of heights it's like a very valid question and you know when he's in that boardroom you know trying to have the negotiation over the business and he's sitting right beside a window that has a you know like right. seven eight stories up but yeah he's totally cool with it you know like it needed to have become way more of a recurring gag than it was in this like if they got like the night they go out for dinner if they've been sat on the balcony and he was just like i don't really want to be out here type thing like you just you just needed it once or twice more for it to be at the end where it was just like Rather than me sitting there at like 10 o'clock at night and going, well, what's wrong with him? Yeah. Is he drunk? You know, that like, was my oh, first that's thought. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's afraid of heights. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he can get on a plane just fine, fly around. Doesn't have a problem with planes, but but can't look over a balcony. Like, I don't know. I don't. It, it felt like it was convenient for when they wanted that right at the end. Yeah. 
And I guess that it, Gary Marshall apparently has a fear of heights, so maybe he just wanted to work that in to his movie. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Trying to make it cool so people stop mocking him for being afraid maybe. of heights. Just, yeah. But it, it like I and and I understand like at a penthouse in a big hotel and looking over that kind of a balcony and having like I don't want to be too close to that. But when you're yeah. when you're ten feet up, that's that's not really a height to be afraid of for a fear of heights. I don't know. May, that that could just be me, but. To, to have that much of like, I got to stay tight to the wall and I can't, and like, I'm afraid to look down. Like you just climbed a ladder. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it was a silly ending. Um, yeah. I did like how they brought back the guy that was walking the street talking about people, their dreams in Hollywood kind of bookend things. Yes. The, the oddly prophetic man who's just yeah. wandering the streets at the start. And then at the end, I was like, Oh, that's some good bookendings. That's yeah. That makes sense. So that was fun. Oh, uh, one other cameo I forgot to mention um, because it's another one of those guys that I see. It's like seeing Hank Azaria and then Larry Hankin was the landlord who um, oh, yes. he and the funny thing is, is uh, Julia Roberts, Larry Hankin, Hank Azaria. And I think there was a fourth person in this movie. I want to say it was Larry Miller, maybe all had guest appearances on Seinfeld in like the same season, which is funny. But Larry Hankin was the the fake version of um, Kramer in when they do the the sitcom uh, in and Larry Hankin I love from he I will always remember him because he has a role in my favorite one of my favorite movies and my favorite buddy cop movie ever which is Running Scared um, where he plays the the motor pool guy Ace in that so anytime I see Larry Hankin in something I'm like ah oh, it's Ace I love him uh, but it was one of those it's like that's a fun little cameo that I'm gonna notice and like. 99% of the people watching this movie have no clue who this guy is. But I have to mention him. So, Larry Hankin, you're Absolutely. great. I'm loving this podcast, by the way, because I'm mentally recording then like at least five or ten movies that I haven't seen in like 20 <laughs> years. And I'm like, oh, I've got to watch that again. I enjoyed that. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. I, Running Scared is the movie that, like, the hill that I will die on as the best buddy cop movie ever. So, wow. I, I did That's it cool. on. That's I, really cool. Yeah, I did it on this show a long time ago. I've I, I will recently somebody had a thing. It was like top five comfort movies. You know those comfort food movies that you can just watch anytime. Like I can throw in Hot Fuzz anytime and watch it because I feel like that's a perfectly structured comedy script. Running Scared is one of those for me too. And a friend of mine is like, it's not a movie list for Travis if he doesn't mention Running Scared. I said, I know, I can't help it. <laughs> It's it's made an indelible mark on my life. It's I, I'm I'm a diehard Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines fan. What do you want from me? I still never trust Jimmy Smits in anything I see him in. Because I was like six years old when I saw Running Scared and he was Julio. He was the bad guy. So I can't see him. Like it was really hard watching the Star Wars prequels and him playing Bail Organa. So I'm like, no, I don't trust Julio. <laughs> so that's just me. No, this this was a fun a fun movie um as romantic comedies go it's one of the better ones i've seen i will say that like yeah. i definitely i i don't flock to romantic comedies but i do enjoy a good one when it's done like i look at um oh clueless is kind of a romantic comedy in a lot of ways i think that movie's really good um you mentioned reese witherspoon earlier and legally blonde the first one it's a surprisingly good movie like uh, there is yeah. there is no reason that when did that movie come out 2001 
I think, 2002, yep. something like that. So at 20, 21 years old, there is zero reason that that 20-year-old me should have enjoyed that movie. But I saw it in theaters, and I loved it. So, you know, it's just one of those things. Yeah, I've got to admit, I've got to admit, there's like at least, like, Legally Blonde's a great example. Even Miss Congeniality is another one that, like, I remember just putting up a fight of, like, I'm never going to watch this, never going to watch this. And, you know, like, partners being like, you've made me watch 1,700 action films. Why can't I watch one? I'm like, okay, you can pick a movie. Fine, you pick one. And then, yeah, Legally Blonde, another great example. First time watching it was kind of recently, and I was like, this is actually really good. This is actually really, really good. I'm a big fan of Mean Girls. I don't think that's a romantic comedy, but I'm a massive fan of that. Massive fan of Clueless as well. Mm -hmm. I think they're very well-written, acted, performed films. And this, yeah, would sneak into that category for me yeah it's it's one of those things where like when when you see good filmmakers and good actors do a movie it doesn't matter the genre that it's in you you can appreciate good art it's kind of like i'm not you know like when i listen to music there's certain you know styles of music that i really enjoy but then every once in a while i'll hear something and i'm like okay that's not my style of music but damn that's a good song you know uh, I'm not a huge country fan, but I hear Steve Earle and I'm like, okay, I like Copperhead Road. That's a great song. It's a country song, but it's a great, it, you know, it, as the kids say, it slaps. And that's the oldest old man <laughs> thing I've ever said in my life. But <laughs> It's funny you bring this up because when I was trying to pick the film that we were going to do, I was like, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go on the top box office of all time. And I'm just going to start going through all of the ones. I'm, you know, eventually I'm going to get to one I haven't seen, and we're going to pick that. And go. so basically went through them, ignored a whole bunch of Pixar films, and got to this <laughs> because that's another thing for me is like I'm I'm not an animation fan. Like I've I've watched Pixar films, I enjoy them, and every time I watch one, I'm like, yeah, that was good. But I never go back and rewatch them. Like I've got a young daughter, and so part of me is just like. It's the same with the Harry Potter franchise. Never seen a Harry Potter film, but I know that that was the other ones I ruled out. By the way. But in yeah, like, ruled out the Harry Potters, ruled out the Pixar films. Well, I know eventually I'm going to get to a point where my daughter wants to watch them, and they'll, they'll be good. I'll be able to sit down and watch them and enjoy them. And But then when I got to this, and I saw it had half a billion dollars or something at the box office, I was like, yeah. what the heck? <laughs> How did that happen? Third highest grossing film of 1990 was Pretty Woman. And it made, like, 400, almost $500 million worldwide in 1990. It's insane. And, yeah. and it had legs. Like, it was out for a long time. I, I think it was in, its first run was like six months or something. Like, just stupid long. I think it spent 10, 10 or 12 weeks in the top 10 of box office. Just nuts. So That's, that's the, like, part of the craziest part about explaining that to younger generations is <laughs> just the fact that movies used to hang around at the movies for that long. Yeah. Like, I remember going to see Titanic about five months after it had come out. Mm -hmm. Like, it was still running. It was still running at regular times. Whereas, like, I know Sony's just tried it this weekend where they've just re-released Morbius <laughs> and they made, like, a whopping $30,000 or something like that. Yeah. But, like, even, so well. like, Morbius, for instance, I, I went to all that in the movies. I don't like to admit it. I'm a massive Marvel fan. I'll watch anything that's related to Marvel. I'll go... I've sat through some horrible, horrible films, but I'll still go and see them. I knew it was going to be terrible. But what cracked me up was, like, two weeks after... Not even that. Like, one week after Morbius had come out at the movie theaters... We went in to see the Batman, I think it was, and we were looking at the, all the film times, and there was Morbius, 11 a.m., and that was its only session yeah. for that entire day at a massive, massive movieplex near my house. And I was like, yeah, that that sums it up. That's that's it, a one-week shelf life. Yeah, yeah it's it, nowadays when a movie is released in theaters, if it doesn't have a gigantic opening weekend, it's considered a failure, and it doesn't, you, you don't get that. Like, 
The Sixth Sense is a per- prime example. That movie spent uh, made over now. This is nineteen ninety nine, but it made twenty million or more in a weekend, or yeah, in a weekend for like six weeks in a row, which was unheard of. That's uh, crazy. It was just nuts. Like movies were allowed to stick around uh, longer back then, but now you're right. Morbius. I, I went and saw that in theaters too. Um, I have I have plenty of thoughts on that movie, but I saw that where they tra- they tried to re release it. Uh, thinking that the memes were, were what people wanted. No, it was just the strength of the meme. Nobody actually wanted to see the movie. And that's, <laughs> I think they released it in a thousand theaters and it made like $85,000. That's, that's, that's nothing. A, yeah, yeah. That's like a person per theater. <laughs> that is, that is <laughs> bad. Um, but yeah, like movies just got to stick around longer back then or, or, and there were second run theaters. So this movie probably ran in theaters for a year. Right, because it would it would go from the the multiplex to like the crappy old you know it's got two screens and the seats are you know they have gum all over them and they're half of them are broken and you can get a movie for like back then it would have been like fifty cents a dollar to go see a movie yeah in these second run theaters so you get a little bit more and that's all box office that all counts so and I think some of the uh, uh, awards stuff for this too Julia Roberts you know getting the Golden Globe and getting nominated for an Oscar helped the movie kind of generate a little more buzz um, but yeah I was super impressed that it made that much money I mean that's unheard uh, of it, that it, can you imagine that's the equivalent of a romantic comedy you know say with uh, who would it be today uh, uh, I don't even know who would be in a romantic comedy these days but coming out Ariana in, Grande or something <laughs> <laughs> probably um no it's got to be a relatively unknown actress pretty much though. yeah that's yeah. true but uh you know somebody from riverdale uh coming on and, and making a Here romantic comedy uh and then it you know making like 800 million dollars at the box office like that's just that's insane that's an insane number to think of and that's basically and, and- what this movie did and not to mention, it's an uphill climb. It's a story of a streetwalker and a sociopath. Like, it's not it's not your sort of typical family-friendly, hey, let's go watch the prostitute movie, you know? like Yeah. And it's, it's, it's such an uphill climb for this film that it's, it's phenomenal that, that it did as well as it did. Uh, legitimately was, like, just swore out loud. Was sitting there <laughs> on the couch with my phone and just, what the? F-? And my wife was like, are you okay? I was like, pretty woman, gross. And she's like, oh, yeah. Okay, I don't care. I don't, why you keep talking to me about movies? I was like, I don't know, but I'm just, this is phenomenal. I was like, I'm doing that. I'm doing that. Because I, I wanted to do, I literally thought, yeah, whatever the highest grossing box office film is. And then I had, because I had a short list of other films that like, like I'm a movie nerd. I'm a cinephile. I've seen tons of stuff that I was like, I really should have seen that by now. There's yep. like four or five very famous films. I'm like, I know I should have seen that by now. I wouldn't have put that, this on that list. But then when I saw it, I was like, no, nah, I've got to do that. Definitely got to do that. Well, what's fun about doing a movie like this is because it's outside your normal wheelhouse, right? Like I have seen exactly. So this one, uh, I mentioned Dirty Dancing, which again, I liked Dirty Dancing a hell of a lot more than I thought I would. Like, there's no earthly reason for me to enjoy that movie the, as much as I did. I stepped out of my comfort zone. I remember watching Amelie uh, for the first time. I love Amelie. God, that yep. movie's great. Like, it's so it's, it's so wonderful. Brilliant, yeah. and. It, again, it's it's so diametrically opposed to everything else that I watch, and but I sat down. And I'm just like, this is great. Uh, what was the Taika Waititi one that I watched? Um, Eagle versus Shark. If you yes, there uh, we go. First of all, you have if, if Taika Waititi or Jermaine Clement are involved in something, I'm watching it. Like 
hands down. I have not watched Our Flag Means Death yet, and I'm kicking myself for it. It's on my list of like, it is the next thing I'm going to watch because he is, Taika Waititi just can't do anything wrong in my my opinion. Like everything he's done is him and Edgar Wright are two directors that's like their name is on it. I don't care what it's about. I'm going to go watch it. And yeah. Eagle um, versus Shark was I mean, one we, of those. We, we basically get kicked out of the country if we don't watch the Taika Waititi films. <laughs> well, so, yeah. <laughs> we don't have much of a choice, but you're right. Like he, as a film director, he's basically gone from like, you know, a $5 budget to a $50 million budget to a $150 million budget. And each step of the way has just been this incremental increase in terms of like just consistently good filmmaking like he's there's it's, very few out there that you're right like i'll rush to the cinema to see an Edgar Wright film i'll rush to the cinema to see a taika waititi film there's hardly anyone else like you know they used to i used to love quentin tarantino if new tarantino film came out now i wouldn't rush to the cinema he hasn't done anything daring or innovative i don't feel like in a while and you know there's i mean if it's a marvel film sure i mean that's given for me being a big massive marvel nerd but yeah, I mean, those are the filmmakers that you're like, yeah, these are awesome. Yeah. Well, it's like Tarantino's great, but Tarantino, you're right, nothing innovative. He hasn't he hasn't done anything crazy new that makes me be like, oh, you know, I, I enjoy it. I watch Hateful Eight. I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'd I'd find time with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but it was another mm. Tarantino movie. But with like with Edgar Wright, with Taika Waititi, with some of these other directors, there's so much craft going into it that I can watch. Eagle versus Shark, and I can watch Thor Ragnarok, and you can tell it's the same guy that made both those movies, and that's an, yeah. an incredible gulf between them in terms of not only the budget but just the style of movie, and yet you can tell it's the same guy. Edgar Wright is another one of those. Like, I knew that Edgar Wright had been part of Ant Man uh, before Peyton Reed, and when I watched it, I'm like, oh, this has got Edgar Wright's fingerprints all over it. Like, you can tell he was part of this. Because it's just got his styling to it, so yeah, I love seeing stuff like that. Gary, honestly, Gary Marshall movies. When I was looking over his stuff, I'm like, oh, Overboard, I like. Uh, I don't care much for Runaway Bride, but like, Princess Diaries is a better movie than it should be, and I think it's because his the he he's the same way. He brings that same kind of heart to stuff that he makes, where I shouldn't like it. I shouldn't. There's no reason that I should enjoy Pretty Woman, but again, I'm not gonna. I'm not kicking it out of bed for eating crackers. Right, I'm gonna watch the movie again. <laughs> it's uh, funny, like agreeing with you on so much of this that my thin masculine facade is slowly falling. That I think anyone that knows <laughs> me is gonna to listen to this and go, "You are so full of crap, Sam." And I'm like, "Yeah, I know, I am, I am." Ah, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, this was a fun movie. I'm glad you enjoyed this too. This was a great pick. So thank you for picking the movie, and uh, and I'm glad that you enjoyed it because I had a good time with it, and and I like showing people new movies and sometimes it's yes. my choice but i always like to get let my guests kind of choose and so if if i had to guess what you were going to choose it wouldn't have been pretty woman so you surprised me <laughs> with that which was great um and it was a ton of fun now you have a show uh oh you know what hold on before we do that i did grab a couple of sound clips i want to play because there was a couple of moments in the movie that that were pretty good um let's see oh okay the, the main one that I want to get is when she pulls out all the condoms and is like showing him the different colored condoms that she's got and she pulls out the gold coin one. His response to that was, was this. A buffet of safety. I have never heard that word pronounced that way before. Neither. Buffet. 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 
What what is a buffet? I know a buffet. And I know a bouffant, but I've never heard buffet. That just made me laugh, so I had to capture Isn't that. Isn't that Phoebe's last name on Friends? Isn't that Phoebe Buffet? Actually, you know what? I think it is. I think it's Phoebe Buffet. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> well, now we know where that came from. Um, <laughs> when, <laughs> For some reason, Vivian has a thing where she doesn't sit in chairs, I noticed, throughout the movie. Like, she was always sitting on, like, a table, or she sat on the balcony. She almost sat down on the jewelry case. Um and the woman's like, no, 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 don't sit there. Uh, but I loved when she sat on the table, like right next to him. And he's, here's Edward. And he's like getting more and more uncomfortable that she's sitting there. It's not so much the proximity. It's like that she's sitting on the table. And so then he has to say, there are four other chairs here. <laughs> and that made me, that made me <laughs> chuckle. I couldn't help myself. Yeah. Uh, and one more. And that is, um, Good old Jason Alexander with a... Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. Uh, that one... I don't know... How old is that line, no shit, Sherlock? I feel like that predates this movie, but I can't think of something that I heard it in before this. Yeah, I mean, Arthur Conan Doyle wrote Sherlock stories back in the early 1900s, or late yeah. 1800s, I think, so... Who knows? Maybe... I don't know. That's a good point. I'd love to know the history of it. Yeah. But like, yeah, like that particular, just the to say that to somebody who states something incredibly obvious, I feel like it's older than this movie, but I can't think of anything it was from. And his delivery of it is great. Yeah. Uh, when they find out, and I, I love that because they find out about like the potential government contract and the the, the only thing the guy can say is like, well, that's going to change things for us. And it's just, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. So now I have that on my soundboard. I can use it whenever I want. That's brilliant. So you have a you have a show called Movie Reviews and Twenty Cues, and yeah, um, I, I don't. Before we get into that, I've got I've got three other notes I just wanted to bring up. Oh, just before we absolutely, this, I, absolutely. I, which I I, I thought fen- phenomenal. I, I'm just because I'm looking over them and I'm like trying to make sense of them because I always write in shorthand <laughs> and then think future me will understand this and then future me never understands it. I don't know why I keep doing this. For instance, I've got War Four Four at the end, but I realise that we've talked about that and I know what that means. And then um the Three of these parts that really symbolized the movie for me, or that like were very memorable for me. Mm-hmm. First of all, understanding he is just so socially inept was the fact that he didn't pull into a gas station or he didn't go into a like convenience store or anything to ask for directions. He pulls up to a guy <laughs> dumpster diving. <laughs> it's clearly not having the best best run in life and says, yeah. Excuse me, you don't have a direction. And then he gets offended when the guy doesn't give it to him or gets so sort of like, Oh, what what is going on here? Right. I I found that hilarious. Um, I, I thought it was a very good symbolism of the naivety of her character earlier on when she says, when he's talking about like how much she charges, like hundred dollars an hour, and he's oh okay, and then he goes, she, he says to her how much for the whole night, and her response is you couldn't afford me. It's like you're in the penthouse of one of the most expensive <laughs> hotels in the city. So when when I was like she's gonna say like half a million dollars or something crazy, and then she goes three hundred bucks, I'm like. Three hundred. You you're a hundred dollars an hour, but you're three hundred for the entire night. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, girl. Yeah, that that seemed a little off. Like you just rode in a Lotus Esprit. You're in the penthouse of a well, uh, like a, a fantastic hotel where the guy's gotten you champagne and strawberries, and you're like, you can't afford me for the night. Oh, I'm pretty sure he can. Um, yeah, absolutely. I love that because like in and. When I watched it, I was like, "Ah, oh, what a moron!" But I'm like, "No, that's just that's her. That's her showing, you yep. know, 
of naivety of her. And then the final one for me is, uh, I'm bald, so I don't have to worry about hair, but there's there's a part of me that wonders how the hell she's able to hide that massive fro of orange hair under that little blonde wig. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. That is some magic right there, because that is a lot of hair she had. And, tons of hair. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Um, I forgot one other clip, and that was when when the next morning, when uh, they had their little exchange about, like, how much it would cost for her to stay for the week. Because I just love that yes. exchange where she's like, I would have stayed for 2000 I would have paid four. It's like, oh, oh you undersold yourself, honey. I'm sorry. Exactly. Julia, Julia. Um, your, your other one, your other shorthand, Waffle Horfer, I think my guess is that has to do with the way she was eating breakfast. Cause she was like hunched up yeah. in that chair with like pancakes in her hands and just like, like eating them. Like she had never tasted pancakes before. It was it, like, that reminded me of like a young, the naivete again, like you're kind of mentioning yes. um, where she, she, again, she doesn't know like her social graces are so different from his and both of them are socially awkward, but in completely different ways. And yeah, I love that where she's just got like a pancake in her hand. She's just taking bites off of it. I thought that was, yeah, that was pretty funny. Yeah, that's that's exactly where it came from. Yep, here we go. So, yeah, uh, I mean, look, it's a good movie. It, there's a reason it made that much money. Uh, you know, Richard Gere aside, um, but uh, but honestly, yeah. I don't know if it's better without him either. That's the hard part, right? Because now that we've seen, no, nah, I can't it, imagine it would be. Yeah, like, the only other the only other thing I'll say for it is that, I mean, putting aside performances and stuff, which are obviously awesome, it has a very like it's very well paced mm-hmm. like there was no points during this where like, I, there was there was a point when i sort of got up and paused and went to get a glass of water and i was 55 minutes in and like most of the times now i'm like 20 minutes in, i'm like oh god i've got another hour and a half to go like <laughs> it's like there's none of there's none of that there's like it just like chips along at a steady pace and then mm-hmm. you know like we and by the time you hit the ending you're like okay that, that was two hours of my life that i'm pleasantly surprised went by pretty quickly so yeah yeah, when I first saw that the movie was two hours long, I'm like, oh, wow, two hours for a romantic comedy feels long. But it was paced so perfectly yeah. that I did the same thing. I noticed we got to, because uh, I made a note to myself where it was, we were an hour into the movie before Oh Pretty Woman finally played the Roy Orbison song. I'm like, all right, fine. And then they only play the little guitar bit at first. And then they keep going with the scene. I'm like, oh, come on. You're really going to tease me like that and not actually play the song? And then they did. I'm like, okay, good. But that was the only time I looked at the at the time, uh, and I realized we were an hour in and we're halfway through, and I'm like, wow, this is just breezing right along. It's great. So very, very cool. So your show, Movie Reviews and 20 Qs. Now I've listened to it quite a bit. I enjoy it, but let uh explain it to people who maybe don't have never heard it before. Like, what is it you do? Because it obviously is movies, and we've discussed yes. that you're a cinephile. But how does that show work? So yeah, it kind of does what it says on the tin in some ways, in some ways not. But yeah, we basically take a movie, we ask 20 questions about it, and rather than 
be your stereotypical stereotypical sort of pretentious film critic who's like oh what were the what were the motives and what what how did the director use color to symbolize emotion and let's just we we don't do that we ask you know like what line from this film would be the worst to hear after sex or how would you have put Nicolas Cage into this film or what flavor pizza is this movie or you know stuff like that we try to go with um like either deep and poignant or like sort of weird and bizarre we're just just straightforward funny you know so like for instance our most recent episode that'll probably be out once once this comes out as we did top gun maverick and like one of my questions was do you think tom cruise has a special stool that he brings to set to stand on when he's acting in scenes or or do they just use any intern that i've got lying around that he stands on top of sort of thing so it's that type of question like we, we try not to take it seriously but at the same time we do manage to give a sort of a convoluted criticism of the film you know like touch on what's made it good what made it bad how it could have been improved without um without specifically addressing that so yeah it's a lot of fun yeah i i very much enjoy that part of it because it does i i've had things where it's like that question makes no sense but then you start listening to the answer and you're like oh yeah uh damn that's it's insightful like it makes you think it's kind of like um if you've ever watched hot ones the interviews that uh he does on there because you get either asking like a weird out of left field question or making somebody eat hot wings while they're answering these questions you you change the mindset and so you're not going to give a canned response you're not going to give that film school response of like yeah the use of color or the way it framed things which i do love to talk about but also it's kind of fun to just like flip everything on its head and do something different so i really enjoy your show so movie reviews and 20 cues is definitely one to check out and uh thank you so much now i have to go see top gun maverick before i can listen to that episode though (laughs) uh i don't want to spoil my episode don't want to spoil my opinion on it (laughs) I think the hype isn't as real as people were saying, but at the same time, kind of real. Yeah. Well, it's an enjoyable action film. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's good enough for me. Um, yeah. So movie movie reviews in twenty cues, uh, and you can get that anywhere you get podcasts. Um, and it's you and uh, you have a co-host, and then usually one guest. Yeah, I it used to be me and my wife, but um, we had a child and wife has pretty much oh, given right. up on yes, the podcast. Yes. So now it's me and fellow New Zealanders. Um, yeah, there's like Liz, Machu and Kahu, which Machu and Kahu are Maldi names, similar to Taika and Titi sort of thing. But um, yeah, they, they basically just jump on whenever we can. And um, yeah, sometimes we have guests from overseas. I've been meaning to get you on Travis, but we've just been so disorganized with so much stuff going on here. See, New Zealand didn't have COVID. We didn't have COVID for two years, <laughs> and now we've been struck by it for the last three months. So trying to organize something and plan something, <laughs> as well as having a kid and everything, has been hard. But um, yeah, we occasionally have guests on. We usually let them pick the movie, and we try to do a popular film. So I mean, most most movies on there, if you've seen it, it'll be it'll make a lot of sense to you. I mean, because we are pretty spoilerific as well. But if you haven't seen the film, we'd try to explain, you know, what we're meaning, sort of thing. So sure. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if you haven't seen the film in a lot of ways. It's like, you know, if you see something on there that you're like, there's no way in hell I'm going to go watch that. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, there's you can still listen along. Anyway. Yeah, there's been a few episodes of where you guys have covered a movie that I haven't seen, and it's still just the banter and the back and forth and the questions are worth it. So it's definitely, definitely oh, pretty geez. cool. Um, well, thank you, Sam, for being on this week. This was a ton of fun. I, I've been meaning to get a hold of you, but I remember you had the when when baby was about to come. I think was when I first got a hold of you. Uh, way back when, and you're like, well, we're about to have a baby, so we're going to be a little busy for a while. I'm like, no problem. I understand that. Uh, it totally messes with everything when you want to do any kind of production. So congratulations yes. on the baby and everything there. And um, 
Yeah, it's been it's been really fun having you on. I'm glad we finally made it work. So this was great, yes, and absolutely. definitely have you back anytime. Cool. Um, I've got number two coming in August, so that should be exciting. But I'll tell you what, I'll uh, <laughs> I'll try and make a plan for a weekend. We'll get you on, Travis. You can come up with a film and throw something at us, and yeah, we can make it work. That'd yeah, awesome. and uh, and well, you got number two coming in August, which is perfect time for you to listen to Cage of Palooza when I do those, because I do all Nicolas Cage all August uh, every year. Oh, speaking my language. <laughs> he is. I love a treasure. him. I hate. Yeah, he is. He's absolutely a treasure. He. It's one of those things where you always are going to get something interesting with Nicolas Cage. It's very rarely boring. Yes. So. Yeah. And and that was kind of the funny thing, because my wife had never really seen many of his films, and then she hated the ones she'd seen, so I think she'd only seen <laughs> The Wicker Man or something like that. And I was like, I was like you're going in at the wrong end. Like, you, yeah, need you... To, you need to build up to that. You need to, like get a few films in and then watch a vampire's kiss and then get a few more films and then watch a wicker man. You can't just go straight into a wicker man. That's no, just, definitely like, not. No, God no. you don't start with season of the witch. You watch con air first and then, you know, you can appreciate bad Lieutenant port of call, new Orleans or whatever. Exactly. Excellent. Well, Sam, thank you so much for being on. This was great. Uh, if you enjoy this show, uh, it does come out on Wednesdays as a podcast. I do uh, stream it live typically on Sundays. Uh, being in New Zealand, Sam, um, we recorded at a different time. Makes perfect sense because if I record on a Sunday night, that's like midday Monday for you, I think. <laughs> what is it about, uh, yeah. about noon, one o'clock for you there? It is. In, it in is. the middle of yeah. the afternoon. So when you were messaging me saying, hey, sweet, I'm just sitting up, I felt like messaging back, I'm just going to grab some lunch and confuse the hell out of you. So. <laughs> you could have. I, I definitely would have would have been confused, but that's all right. But uh, but yeah, um, twitch.tv slash TV's Travis is where the live stream happens, and then the show goes out, and you can find that anywhere you get podcasts or uh, tvstravis.com. Um, next week, I am going in a very different direction. Uh, my friend Phil Keating is coming back, and he's making me watch... Uh, because he mentioned this the last time he was on the show, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. And uh, he loves musicals. It's his all-time favorite movie musical, and he is going to make me watch that. I've never seen it. I know nothing about it. So I'm very interested to see how that goes. So that's going to be next week. Um, you I'm have my sympathy, watching. man. <laughs> so I can't stand musicals. I don't know anything about that film. Sorry, it's probably brilliant, but I, I, musicals and me just no, no. Okay, well, it's only so. it's only going to be the third musical that I've covered on this show in 169 episodes or 170 episodes because I did uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which is great, and Moulin Rouge, yeah. which was surprisingly good as well. Um, I, Baz Luhrmann, I have a weird relationship with his movies, but for some reason Moulin Rouge just like it hit a it hit a spot that I enjoyed. I think it's Ewan McGregor. I think that's the thing. Um, yeah, there's another film I haven't seen. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Hedwig and the Angry Inch next week on this show. Um, so come on back for that. But, uh, once again, this was episode 169. Nice. And, uh, my guest was Sam. Thank you so much for being here. We'll, we'll definitely have you back. If not, uh, maybe, maybe after baby is, uh, is out for a little while. We'll give it some time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Keen airs. We'll come back anytime, Travis. Just Excellent. You. Thank you. Uh, and so until next week in Hedwig and the Angry Inch, this is Travis for What You Haven't Seen saying be excellent to each other. Thanks. Bye.
exactly how obscene an amount of money were you talking about? Just profane or really offensive? Really offensive. I like him so much. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>